Welcome to the Do Good to Lead Well podcast. If you're passionate about mastering self-leadership, then you're in the right place. I have always been curious about and fascinated by the pursuit of leadership excellence. This is why I pursued my PhD in psychology with a specialization in business, and I've continued to dedicate my career to understanding the science and practice of positive leadership. My name is Craig Dowden, I'm a best-selling author, award-winning keynote speaker, executive coach, and member of the Forbes Coaches Council. Each week, I'll bring you world-class content on the science and practice of positive leadership. Through my conversations with best-selling authors, TED speakers, and top CEOs, you'll be able to leverage their insights and experience so you can maximize your potential and be the leader the world needs you to be. Good afternoon, everyone, and welcome to another edition of the Do Good to Lead Well webinar series. My name is Craig Dowden, and it's an absolute pleasure to have you here today. For those of you who have joined previously, welcome back. It's awesome to have you a part of this conversation. For those of you who are first-timers, a really warm welcome. And so I'm really excited to welcome to the program today, Brian Mills. So he's the president of U.S. Water Filters, and he's held many senior management roles within his career. So prior to joining USWF, he was the chief commercial officer with Glenn Dimplex Americas, where he led the commercial strategy on a turnaround objective in the North American market, resulting in 200% growth. So pretty extraordinary results there. Prior to Glenn Dimplex, Brian engineered the turnaround of the electrical enclosure division of Pentair for the Canadian market, he also held the vice president of business development role for Canature Water Group, a divestiture from Culligan International Company. He started his career in a family-owned business. So you see lots of awesome experience here in a general management role where he led the spin-off and eventual sale of both business units. So without further ado, Brian, a warm, warm welcome to the program this afternoon. Thank you, Craig. Well, and, and on top of that, what I have to say is, you know, Brian has been a part of engineering some remarkable turnarounds, has driven exceptional growth. And as we'll talk about today, as you'll learn, Brian is, is just lives and breathes positive leadership. So has that combination in terms of doing good and, and, and leading well. So your, your current role, this is a recent adventure for you. And now you're the, the, the lead of a company that's based in the U.S. and and you sit in in Canada. Just curious about, so you hear so much, right, in the media about remote work and and all those kinds of things. What's that been like for you in terms of the cross-border side? I feel like you're setting me up for a bad airline question with some of the travel, but we'll, we'll leave that we'll leave that subject alone for right now. Look, it's it's been kind of business as usual for me. Prior role, the majority of the organization lived and breathed the U.S. market and in the in large part of the organization lived and worked remotely in the U.S. So kind of business as usual. I, I haven't seen a lot of change, no issues from a team perspective. The prior CEO lived in Dallas, Texas and, you know, was also remote. So no, the team kind of was used to somebody being remote. From a Canadian perspective, I, I get the sense that being Canadian is a little bit contagious. I am hearing my team start saying A at the end of sentences or, or at the end of statements, which is quite interesting. And I've been asked what poutine is a couple of times. So uh, we're, we're having a little bit of fun with the token Canadian on the team these days. That's awesome. Cross-border relations there, banding culinary interests and vocabulary. That, that's absolutely awesome. Well, yes, and just like our moods, Canadiana is infectious. So I love that. One of the really interesting things as well, because you joined, you know, recently during COVID and a lot has been written and, and spoken about in terms of effective onboarding. So I would love to hear your experience. And I'm sure members of this community would love to hear your insight. You have lived experience in terms of what it's like to come in, not only to onboard into an organization, also onboard as president of that organization. Yeah. So can you take us through that journey and what lessons you've learned, Brian? Yeah, I, I would start by saying the biggest learning I've had, and you know, I, I came in on in January, and in, in the so it's been eight months. The biggest learning I've had over the course of the last eight months is onboarding is both ways. I am onboarding into the organization, but the organization is also taking me in, and and those those things I I feel like 
maybe I haven't recognized in the past, but, you know, bringing employees into an organization or onto my team, historically, you know, you, you do the, the standard onboarding, you get people up to speed on what the organization is doing and how their role and responsibilities are going to contribute into those results. However, you know, in, in this case, I feel that not only am I getting up to speed, but I'm also bringing the organization with me. We, we've, you know, rewritten the strategy a little bit. We are in a, a kind of inflection point in the business's history 20 years later. And in trying to bring my team, you know, along on the journey with me has been kind of an equal onboarding on, on both sides. So my, my biggest learning has been onboarding works both ways. That was not visible to me in, in prior roles. So living a little bit, you know, flying by the seat of my pants a little bit some days because I'm, I'm trying to bring the organization with me with some new processes and strategies as well. Well, already got a question. <laughs> so I was anticipating that. Kirk was wondering, love that you talked about the bi-directionality of onboarding. And so was wondering if you could unpack a little bit more about how have you found either best or worst practices, your choice, about how to bring your team along with you, like onboard you yeah. to the team. So I think that's a brilliant insight. So I think any, any organization you go into has their own processes and, and, you know, roles and responsibilities set up for the organization. And, and somebody like me coming into the organization has, has, you know, some proven experience on how things have worked well for me and not so well for me. And, and being gentle about, you know, not telling people this is the way we need to do it. I've been, I've been, I've been criticized in my career for for already making the decision, being too fast for some of my, my team, Craig, as you know, we've talked about a lot over the, the last years we've been together. So, you know, to answer Kirk's question, being gentle, trying to bring people along in, in process improvement and continuous improvement, I think would be my biggest call out, knowing that I'd like to get to, you know, X point and, and how, how I'm going to get there is likely going to take a little bit longer to, to bring people along into that, into that process, into that continuous improvement. That's awesome. Well, and I've got another question. So again, <laughs> rapid fire. Lewis, love that you were talking about that as, you know, that inflection point. So kind of change in strategy a little bit when, when coming in. And so they're in a similar situation. Any advice, tips, tools around when you're making a change in strategy, especially as a new executive, any ways in which to be effective in that space? Yeah, so I get the sense that data is so important. Information, market intelligence is so important these days. I would actually say, you know, the majority of organizations are probably data heavy and they don't know it and they're not sharing it. Where's the, where's the data coming from? Why are you making the decision? the way you're, you're making it. And, and what you'll hear a lot today from me is, is about communication. So I've had some strong success in the past months, but even in prior roles around, you know, trying to communicate effectively change. So how, how to change, manage, you know, departments, organizations, people, how, how can you make the, the organizations move in the way that, that you've agreed to, not you as a human have decided as, as the organization has agreed to. So Whatever data you can share, you know, not everything's public, not everything you want to drill down through the entire team, but find some, some information that you can share with the team to bring them along, that they understand that we're going through a, a process change for a reason. What is the goal? How would you like to get there? And then, you know, things could change a thousand times. But as long as you communicate that, I, I found it very advantageous as we try to move into the next phase of our, as our strategy. Well, I, I love that. And again, continue. I'm not surprised more. Another <laughs> question coming in on the, so Tara said, absolutely love that you talked about how organizations can tend to hoard data without sometimes not even knowing it. So do you have any advice or any suggestions for how to gently bring that up where you're focused on communication around how to get an organization to realize the information they have and how best to convey it to the, to, to their teams? Yeah. So, so number one is agree on the data. So, you know, normally you would get into a, into a meeting with your peers or, or the, the executive team and, and you have something to share. Well, that something to share is pointless unless everybody values it. Everybody agrees on it. And my, my advice is do the pre-work to make sure you agree on the data. Make sure that you agree on the source of the data. You think it's valid. Do whatever, you know, checking or, or validation is, that is required 
to make sure that everybody is, is running off the same data. If everybody can get to the point that they're communicating off of the same data, I think the, the next decision is, is quite easy and how you translate that data out into, into specific strategy conversations. That's your first step. And that would be my advice. Just agree on the data source, agree what you're going to look at first. Well, I just got a note back saying, love that, agree on the data. So it's so important. And in the work that I do, I think that's such a powerful insight because unless you agree on that, that can information sharing can feel scary. What are we going to share to whom and all that kind of stuff? So as you say, getting people aligned on that, what an invaluable step. And then as you rightly say, I couldn't agree more, Brian. The next step is kind of simple. Once we've aligned on what we're going to share. So love that. Coming back to the 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 onboarding side and, and then also the remote side of, of work and and once again, which has really dominated the headlines and returned to office, one of the big questions is has been around culture and how you build a strong culture in a remote environment. Or what does culture look like now in the world of more remote work working from home? Any insights in terms of your experience and what you're doing? in your organization in terms of keeping culture strong? Yeah, over-communicate. I would say everyone's definition of culture is different in the current environment. So with the sensitivity around, you're not really sure what most of your organization's definition of culture is, you got to over-communicate. You need to over-communicate anything that you feel is, is important anything that is meaningful to the team, positively or negatively. I would strongly recommend regular conversations. How you do those regular conversations and in what cadence is, is kind of up to you, size of team, organization, so on and so forth. But, but regular conversations with the, with the people on your team or, or peers. And, and one of the, I don't know if it's a trick, but one of the, the successes I've had is, is open forum. So you don't really know what people want to hear about you know, communicating in, in a remote environment unless you ask. So, I, you know, I, I would say if, if, if it makes you feel a little bit uncomfortable the first time it's working, open forum. Before a team meeting, ask your team if, if they have anything you want that they want you to talk about. Is there anything you want to, they want to address? You know, the first time I did that, I got three or four questions I never would have expected that the team wanted me to talk about. Maybe not as important to me as it was to them, but they wanted me to, uh, to you know, talk about something and, and, and that, was, that was fine. The other thing you find when you go to open, open forum is there's probably the same thread that you don't know is going on in the organization. You need to chat about it and, and people might agree or they might disagree and that's totally comfortable, but put yourself in an uncomfortable position. Ask open forum and encourage any question, anything's on the table would be, would be my suggestion. Well, and I love that recommendation around open forum because it's such a powerful tool. And as you say, if you can have the courage to be able to, to just, you know, ask me anything, the floor is yours. And, and as you say, which I think is so important, these things can be happening or aren't happening, whether or not they're being discussed in the forum or not. So let's just have an open discussion. I love your question around what would you like for me to talk with you about today? So I think that's, again, a fabulous way to really prompt engagement. I have a question from Allison around the open forum. So love the idea, a little afraid of it <laughs> in terms of, so how are you able to, Brian, get the courage to, to do that and, and, and any advice around how best to prepare for and or structure them? Yeah. So I'll tell you the first couple of times I did this actually in a, in a prior role, not in the existing role, I would send an email a couple of days before our, you know, team meeting or, you know, what, whatever type of meeting we're having a business update. And is there anything anyone would like to, like to ask, you know, respond directly to me, you know, anything's on the table and get them to put it in writing. It could be a one-liner or, you know, I, I got paragraphs of, did you know this is happening or what's your comment on these things that are happening? And, and then it's up to you as a leader or a manager to say, you know, I'm not going to deal with that in a, in a public forum. I'm going to, you know, directly call the person. Let's talk through it, make sure that they're comfortable with it. Is there then something you want to bring as a question? But then you're in control of the, of the situation to start. Once you get a couple questions, line of question, and you, you, you kind of know what people are going to start to ask, open it up live. Make yourself a rule. If there's something you can't talk about, just be honest. 
I can't talk about that for whatever reason, financial reason, confidentiality, wh- whatever, the, whatever the reason is. Highly unlikely the majority of the people will go there. They, they actually want you to be authentic. They want to know what you're going to answer live, regardless how tough the question is. And in times, I didn't know the answer. So I, I would get a, you know, a, a question about something that, number one, I didn't know was happening in the organization and, and I didn't know the answer. So you know, I would defer. I would say, you know, somebody on my team, you know, do you have an opinion about that or should we take it offline? But don't be shy to be honest. If you don't have an answer, it's okay to go find one and come back. There's so much great, great stuff in there. And particularly around the, as you say, I mean, if there's something you can't answer, well, we can be open about that. And I love that connection back to authenticity. So I'm just, here I am, I'm being authentic. I'm being open with you on this. And then to your point, the power of, I don't know. And, and I love your idea. Talk to your team or, hey, I'm not sure about this and I'll get back to you. So such a powerful, powerful way to be able to deal with questions in real time and, and really create a, a, a culture of safety. I have another question from Tim who was wondering, and, and you mentioned communication and you're going to come back to that from time to time throughout, throughout our conversation, was wondering, are there aspects of your communication style that have changed throughout the course of, of your career? Yeah, this is something that I learned in, the, I would say, the past three, four, maybe five years to be incredibly important. Communication style, no, no, I guess my advice is no, know your audience's communication style. Do they just want the information? Do they want you to tell them? you're making a decision, what, what is their communication style? How would they like to receive the information or the, the communication that you're delivering would be, would be my advice. That communication style is completely different by person. Some people need a long, you know, a, a long time to, to digest the information and some people can pick it up in you know, 30 seconds or less. You need to know your audience. You know, if, if I learned one thing over the past couple of years is know your audience, figure out how to communicate with them in a manner that they're going to digest it. Everyone is different. There's some tools out there like a disc profile that when I initially took disc, I wasn't a big believer and now I use it every day. I have learned how to use the, 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 the disc or personalysis. There's lots of them out there that you can use. That is a big tool that I would strongly suggest in, in improving communication style. Mm, that's awesome. Absolutely. And I got a note back. Thank you. Really, really great answer. I want to talk to you about leadership because again, as we navigate through the pandemic and then turn the corner and and look into the future, what qualities do you feel that leaders need to possess in order to be successful in their roles, both today as well as as we move into the future? Yeah, I'm going to come back to the data. Market intelligence, data, information, organizations, teams, people want to know there's something behind what the leader is saying. Well, how did you come to that conclusion? You don't have to share every detail, but at least share the things that are important on how you got to that thought or that decision. You will gain the trust in the followership very quickly from the people that are questioning some of the decisions or, or, or leadership style. The other, one, the, the other one that we haven't talked about that, uh, that I have adopted in the last couple of years is scenario planning. Since COVID or the pandemic hit, scenario planning, I, I would have never believed in my career scenario planning was so important. And by scenario planning, I mean run a, run a, a model or, a, or something that shows you what a result would be if you did something different. What does your scenario plan look like? You could have one or a hundred scenario plans it takes time. It takes effort. You likely need to bring other people into the conversation, but scenario planning would be my big call out in the current environment. I got a couple of comments. Love scenario planning. So valuable and, and underutilized. Got some fans out there for sure. Got a question from, from Tony and, and related to communication, difficult conversations or performance conversations finds them difficult, any suggestions around how to do them effectively and how to best set the stage to have a productive discussion rather than sounds like in, in, in Tony's case, it can spiral out from based on what I can see here. So any recommendations or advice around how to approach those discussions? Yeah. People don't like surprises. People get caught off guard by surprises. How do you 
not surprise someone and be constructive at the same time. Every situation's a little bit different. Trying not to, to surprise someone on a, you know, hey, I need to talk to you in 10 minutes and, and you get on a video call and tell them they're doing X right or wrong and, and you would like them to do it in a different way. Not be too gentle about it because you're trying to, you're trying to deliver a message, be authentic about it, but try not to surprise the person. You need to, you need to get to a point that you're going to have that difficult conversation. And basically, they know it's coming. I, I think a lot of it has to do with, with us as leaders. If the, the employee or the human being believes that they are doing a good job and you believe that they're not doing the best job that they could do, that's on us. You know, uh, a lot of people say accountability. Accountability, the word accountability scares people. How do you, how do you message things to hold people accountable without being extremely direct to surprise people? My advice is, is to do it gently, but get them to the point that they know it's, it's coming if it's that bad. Well, and I love your point, Brian, around the don't surprise people. I think that because I'm a huge data guy, research guy, and and when it comes to performance conversations, that's one of the big criticisms. It's almost like people save this up so that you know, <laughs> you have you you parachute into this conversation, and then people leave and just are absolutely shocked by what was discussed. And I love your point about how we react. I mean, you know, if you're you're commenting on someone's performance in a critical way, but hey, surprise, no idea this is coming. I think that's so valuable in terms of letting, you know, for all of us as leaders to start to think about, well, have I done my job? Have I let them know where things stand? And I love your point as well, and have a follow-up question on this as well from, from, from the audience. How do you find that fine line because i love your point brian about making sure it's authentic so that it's it's on point so any suggestions so this is samantha asking this question around how do you find what what's that fine line between being direct and and, and on and, and and crossing the line so any insight there recognizes the tough question with a smiley face let's let's go back and start with you know why somebody is not performing are the metrics clear do you agree on the metrics? If the person is not delivering the result that is intended, do they know that that is the result that needs to be achieved? And, and the conversation can start with, how do we get to the result we're trying to achieve? If you disagree on the metric, reset the metric so that you both agree. But to start the conversation with, do we agree on the me metrics? Do we agree that the results are not where we believe them to be? Do we need to change the metric then puts the position back on the on the the other person in the in the conversation to respond with, I disagree with the metric or I disagree with the result. Then the conversation starts to happen. If you have that conversation multiple times, then it's not a surprise to someone that you're doing some sort of performance improvement plan. You know, you're being more direct about it. You've given multiple opportunities to have the conversation as opposed to at two o'clock on a Wednesday, we're going to have a difficult conversation and everybody's going to be quite upset about it. So agree on the metrics. And if you have metrics and you have goals and, and you know what the results are, those conversations become pretty, pretty easy. And got several comments saying that's just such great insight around, are we clear on the expectations? Even go back to the, one of the earlier questions we discussed was around like what data, agree on the data source. And now this is another, a beautiful extension of that principle, Brian, around, hey, well, do we even agree on what the expectations are and what the metrics are on this? And Greg loved that insight and then said, what if, and loves the collaborative nature, what if the person says they don't? Like if it's, well, no, I don't agree. Where, where do you go with that? Well, that's part of being a leader that either the, the goal is prescribed, it's up for debate, you're being you know, told. The follow-up is these are the reasons why that's the goal. Maybe it's a financial reason. Maybe it's a strategic objective. It's somebody's KPI that you're a participant of. But that's the, that goes to the, to the next level of explaining the data and explaining why. If you can't explain why the metric is the metric, you might have the wrong metric. And I think, you would, I think, I think everybody would agree on that. But explaining why the metric is there is, is, is part of why we set the metrics. You should be explaining the, the metrics. Yeah, I, I think there's probably lots of questions about you know, how, how do you get to a point that you agree on the metrics? You know, there, there's lots of good business reasons out there. 
information, data, strategic goals, financial objectives, that you, you'll come to a, an agreement on why the goal is the goal. That's fantastic. And have another question from Angel, who was wondering, it seems like you have a real, very courageous approach, if you will, in terms of just entering into conversations, be it in the open forums or in this discussion where you're like, hey, do we agree on this? How have you been able to build that courage to walk in the conversations where you may hear things that are difficult to hear or you don't want to hear? What, what's been your journey like to do that? It sounds courageous to, to angels. So I, I think it's a great question. Yeah, so I, I'm a big proponent of building relationships and, and I'm, yeah. I'm not the partier and I'm not going to be the guy that's talking to everybody at the party. But I do believe when you're on a Zoom or WebEx or Teams or Google Meet, every day with people or even face-to-face, -face, you need to develop a relationship and, and being authentic to those people will, will take you to a new level that, that those conversations start to become easier on both sides. I'm not suggesting you need to befriend your entire team. What I am saying is you need to, you need to understand what motivates them. What is their situation? How are they, how are, do they like to be motivated? What drives them? How do they work? What is that communication style? You need to get to know your employees so that when you do have these difficult conversations, you do know how to deliver the message or, or any type of communication. Like I said, everybody's communication style is a little bit different. DISC has worked for me very well. There's other tools out there also, but get to, get to know your fellow employees, regardless where you are in an organization chart, leader of, doesn't matter what size team, get to know your peers, get to know your employees, get to know the organization. Mm, that's awesome. And got a, another question, no name attached to it, but was, was curious around the, love the authentic leadership link. What if you tend to be a bit more disagreeable or maybe a little, just naturally unfriendly as that's part of your authentic self, maybe a little reserved and stoic. Any advice? Like, so how, how do you reconcile that as an authentic leader? Yeah. I think if you're calling it out, like you just did, you're, you're step one in the right direction that this. That's no different than your audience knowing that you're going to be direct. You're not upset about anything. You're not, you know, reprimanding anyone. Your, your style is you're going to be direct. You're going to be a person of likely few words and that's your style. And, and people, people in your team or in the organization will react accordingly to that. And, and as long as you come out and you, you talk about that and, and, and you're, you know, this is the reason why. I, I think you, I think you'll be a lot further ahead than coming into a meeting and, you know, one word answers or, or very direct with people that don't necessarily like to be communicated that way. Well, and I love such a brilliant insight, Brian, and it fits so nicely. It's just perfectly with my coaching work and different executives that I've worked with. And exactly to your point, when they can come across as brusque or in the morning, they just walk into the office and kind of just don't you know, acknowledge because they're focused or whatever it is. And then when they have, when they just are open about it, going, hey, as you say, right, hey, I might be, have a few words to say, or I might look like I'm serious. This is just my natural state. And so this is not, it may come across that way. This is not my intention or, hey, if it makes you uncomfortable, check in with me because I get this. It just is people. And, and I love, you know, what you're saying is that, they said, okay, cool. Like, I get it. Everybody has their own qualities. Everybody has their own elements, right? In terms of the, what makes them shine and some of the challenges of who they are. So just let people in and, and that's absolutely brilliant. I'm curious about what's the best piece of leadership advice you ever received? Yeah. Tell it all, tell it early. Yeah. The person that told me that will know exactly where it came from. Tell it all, tell it early. Really what that means is share when you think about it. You need to share, you need to communicate good, bad, neutral information so that you're bringing people along with you. And really what, what that means is no surprises. People get upset when there's surprises. People don't know how to react or you might get a reaction that you're not looking for when, when you surprise people. So share the information, be collaborative. Maybe there's something that's happened in your organization that is not a positive activity. And instead of it sitting in your mind for 24 or 48 hours and you stirring about it, have the conversation with your whoever, your, your supervisor or your leader. This is what's happened and, and, and I'm sharing it. Let's be collaborative on this. 
as opposed to, I knew information 48 hours ago, now it's exploded and now I need to come and tell you a little bit later. And it, it likely got worse at that point. And, and everybody likes sharing good news, obviously. So tell it all, tell it early, work, works very well in that case. Absolutely. Well, and I love, I love the tell it all, tell it early. And for me particularly, and as you point out so well, Brian is around that early because you don't tell it early in the game and then it can fester, it will fester and get bigger and bigger and then the potential for it to blow up. And what I love about a common thread through all of the, the answers you provided and the insights that, you, that you've shared today is it's about living and breathing collaboration. And creating those conditions. And what I also love about what you're sharing, and it's such valuable insight for leaders and aspiring leaders who are listening and watching today, which is around, and then fundamentally as the leader, you have the choice about how collaborative you want to make the conversation, as you talked about earlier around results. Hey, well, this is what the metric is and here's why. Yet surfacing that insight from the people in your team and in your organization is invaluable because those discussions are happening. And it gives you a chance to be a part of the conversation as well as for them to be a part of it. So I love all of this that you're talking about. Well, the pandemic's been around for now, unbelievably, a couple of years and we continue to go. What lessons have you learned? Like, what are some of the things that you, you throughout the, the, the couple of years, you know, what are some insights that you've gained in terms of maybe things that you've shifted in terms of your orientation or things you're going to take with you moving forward, love to get your lessons learned through this. I would say the most important thing is, is market intelligence, regardless what industry or, or business you're, you're in or you're leading, there is in today's world, absolutely market intelligence, information, data out there that is, is going to be useful to your, your business at some point. And if there was one piece of advice is invest in the information, find out what your, your, your market intelligence is, how can you be the best that you can possibly be and invest in that. And I said this earlier about scenario planning. If you always are continuously scenario planning, regardless it's, if it's a specific continuous improvement project or you're interested in, you know, attaining a new customer or you're opening a new facility, you know, there's repercussions in your organization, positive or negatively, based on your decisions. And, and that scenario plan, um, regardless how big or how small, is, is actually continuous improvement. It provides you options and you will be provided more information than you have today. Information, data, scenario planning is my, definitely my suggestion. Well, I have another question from Steve. It provides a caveat said, I love that you've mentioned market intelligence several times during the discussion. Any tips around how to be able to do this well? Because it sounds like for, for Steve, great opportunity and like to pick your brain up. <laughs> yeah, Steve, if you're interested in connecting on LinkedIn afterwards, happy to give you some more direct advice. But look, there's associations for everything these days that likely have some sort of subscription base and they're doing this work anyways. If you're, yeah, so, so industry subscriptions or, or associations would be, my, would be my first and foremost. As an example, there's internet e-commerce activities going on that you can track basically anything your competitors are doing. There is tools in the world that you can track imports and exports if you're in a, in a goods market. You know, this is public information. You know, to, to make the best decision possible, it is absolutely advantageous to invest in that, in that market intelligence. But look, every, every industry is going to be a little bit different. And my point is the couple industries I've been in since the, since the pandemic has happened, this has become evident. We need more information to make decisions and more educated decisions than we did before. Well, and I love that, Brian. And, 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 and as you say, you know, that information is out there and, and all of us have access to it. And then it's about getting, curating the best quality information. And that really can drive some really informed decisions. So I think that's absolutely fantastic. I'm also curious as well, because a big, you know, a, a buzzword, if you will, is, is around resilience and, and maintaining our resiliency. And so how do you stay personally resilient through this process? And then, and as a leader, how can we keep our organizations, our team members resilient? Because as you shared before, people can be going through lots of different things and, and have different kind of circumstances that they're navigating. So any advice from a personal resilience standpoint yeah. and then supporting organizational resilience? 
from a personal perspective, have a strong, you know, circle of trust or, or someone or people that, that you can talk to, not inside of your existing organization. I suggest against family and friends, if, if at all possible, but have a small circle of trust that you can have conversations with about leadership, business, just have an open ear that obviously works both ways. No more than a couple people works, works well for me. You know, I, I kind of have three people that are my go-to text messages or, you know, a quick phone call. This is happening. Do you have any, any insight? Am I missing something here? And, and obviously those people are going to keep, keep that information to themselves. So a, a small circle of, of trust is my personal advice. From an organizational perspective, look, change is the new constant. I, I don't see change going away anytime soon. I think we're changing more and more every day. And I think being able to change, manage, and control that to the best of your ability in your organization would be my advice on the organizational front. You know, identify that changes, change is normal. And how you manage that change is, is actually up to you. Be authentic with your organization. Changes, change is happening, positive and negative every day. And, and you got to be comfortable with that. You have the tools in order to facilitate that change. Well, that's such great insight. And I love your observation around having almost like your own kind of internal board of directors, if you will, like people that you can go to, trusted advisors that you can call, text and say, hey, this is going on. And, and, and to really bend their ear, lean into that, because sometimes when we're under stress or a lot of things we're balancing, we can kind of remove ourselves from those social supports. So I think it's such a great insight around, hey, let's have a, a, a small group of people who we rely on that we can share what's going on in an authentic way to, to go back to that word. And then on the organizational front, I think that's, again, fantastic around, well, this has changed. This is what's going on. Positive change, <laughs> challenging change. It's here. Here's what's going on. Here's how we are. And that really back to having an authentic conversation. When people know what's going on, they have that confidence hey, you've got this, we've got this, we can, we can move forward. I get questions and love to get your take on this in terms of, so what advice do you have for aspiring leaders who want to advance in their careers and, and, and perhaps have aspirations to the corner office, be president, CEO? What advice would you have for them? Uh, three things kind of come to mind. Number one is fire gaps. What are you missing or not as strong from a leadership perspective or, or you know, cross-functional department perspective that, you know, you, know you, you might need to work on and invest in yourself. So, you know, an example would be if you're in a commercial, you know, sales and marketing role and, you know, you're not, not as strong in the, in the financial sector of the organization, how are you going to close that gap? What help do you need? Have you, have you talked about that? Have, do you have a plan? You have a timeline to achieve that plan, you know, close, close the gap on, on whatever you identified as your gap. And, and there's lots of good 360 tools out there to identify your gaps if, if, if you're not aware of your own gaps. And, and then you can work on, on how you're going to close that. I have an analogy that I've used over the, the last couple of years, at least around, you know, what's your say-do ratio? Do you do what you say you're going to do? Uh, that actually can work down in the organization. But right now, the the fingers are pointing at you. So are, are you doing what you say you're going to do? What is your safety ratio? And somebody asked about accountability. That's effectively, are you holding yourself accountable, but are you holding your team accountable also? Is your team doing what they say they're going to do? You need to figure out how you're going to hold those people accountable. And then the last one we talked a lot about it is authenticity. Be authentic. When you have a group of people that you think you're struggling to connect with, let your guard down. I think I talked about my kids more in the first 60 days of me onboarding this new role than I've ever talked about in, in, a, in a business environment because everybody on the team was interested to hear about, you know, our, our weekend ski days or, or how my kids were doing at certain activities. Be, be authentic. People, people do want to connect. They want to know more about you as a human instead of how you are at work and driving results. Yeah. These are such great insights and I love the, and there was a question which you answered. I'll ask it again in case you want to add to it, because someone said, I love the identify the gaps as, as do I. And they were curious about how can you do that? Because they said a lot of people they know seem to be oblivious to their gaps. So you had mentioned yeah. 360, any other ways around getting close, you know, identifying those gaps? 
I mean, look, 360 is a formal process. You know, if, if, if anybody doesn't know what a 360 is, you should probably Google it or, or figure out how that process works. It's an invasive process. And normally the results are something that you're not necessarily anticipating, not in a positive way. But that's, that's what you do it for. If you're not interested in doing a full 360, you know, platform or, or getting, you know, professional constructive feedback, ask your peers. Pretty simple to ask your peers, you know, can you give me three, three things that I'm, I'm really good at in leadership or, or three things that you think I need to work on? Two of the three you might disagree with and you'll get one. It's not a formal process, but if you ask, it will also go a long way with your, your peers. And, and, and separate from your peers, ask your team. Ask your, your organization, ask the people that you, that you work with on a, on a regular basis, what are the things that you, you think I need to work on? Is it, is it communicating on a more regular basis? Is it being more authentic? What, what are the things? Even give them some options. I, I haven't done this personally, but as I'm thinking about it, you know, list out the things that you think are important and make them rank it. Not make them, ask them to rank it. Any information will, will go a long way. You'll, you'll get quite the, quite the theme or the you know, the trend happening when you, the further you go with it. And received a thank you. And, and I love your point, particularly on a couple of, a couple of levels, because as you say, the 360 more formalized process and, and, and certainly can be, and, 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 and you go out and, and kind of gather and collate information from, from different people on your team, your peers, et cetera. What I love about what you shared as well, sometimes we can have this big, well, we've got to have a 360, right? Or some big formal announcement, events, and everything else. And I love, it's, it's those powerful micro behaviors, right? That you just shared. Well, what's, as soon as this webinar is over, each of us, people watching it can go out and grab someone or talk to them on a video call and go, hey, well, like, what's one thing you think I do well, or one thing you think I could change? And as you say, which I think is also incredibly powerful and empowering, Brian, which is around well, get the, the, the feedback, the nuggets. We may not agree with all of it, yet it's so valuable, no matter what we get. And approaching it in that way from a, a lens of curiosity just opens up how we can really grow and, and develop. I, I've got another question from Stan, and you talked about disruption. You talked about change, like, you know, you scenario planning, market intelligence. I think looking into the crystal ball, like, what do you see as the future of work and markets and, you know, where are we going through all of this in terms of as we, as we move ahead, what do you think the future is going to look like? That's a loaded question. That's a big question, eh? Yeah, yeah, exactly. yeah, yeah. Look, I think that, I mean, it depends on what your industry you're in, but, you know, I'll reflect on the, on the industry that, that I'm in right now. I, I think that there is significant market compression happening. I think that there's significant geopolitical issues happening. And, and again, you need to scenario plan for what if scenarios around, around everything. I think things are going are gonna to continue to change. Like I, like I said, I don't think that's obviously ever going to stop. Use the information and the data at your disposal to make the best decision, to make the best decision possible. I'm seeing the, the labor markets free up a little bit that specifically in the, in the U.S. market where we're having more applicants and jobs and, and the, the pressure, on, the pressure on, on hiring is, or, or recruiting is, it seems to be coming off, which is positive for, for those who have open roles. But from a future of leadership perspective, agility, being agile, don't get too stuck on a, on a process because tomorrow you could wake up and, and your opinion will radically change. Be agile and over-communicate at any particular time would be, would be my advice. Lots of great insights. And I really want to build and highlight, I think, for people say it again, you know, that agility. I love that. And, and particularly how you linked it to our opinion, because as of tomorrow, things could shift with the pace of change. And I think what you're sharing, Brian, is so important considering, I mean, you look at, and as you know, right, I'm a huge fan, Adam Grant, his latest bestseller, Think Again. Ed Hess out of Darden, humility is the new smart, hyper learning, ozone viral around, think like a rocket scientist. This is all around being agile in our thinking. And I think that I could not agree more. That's a critical insight in terms of being able to shift as conditions change around us. So absolutely fantastic. We've only got about 10 minutes left. It's amazing how fast this has gone. So thank you. And I've got lots of positive comments here. I love to ask a back to the future question. <laughs> so, uh -oh. so 
if you could go back in time and talk to Brian at the at the start of your career, what advice would you would you give yourself? Oh, the first thing that comes to mind is understanding people's communication styles. I've only really, you know, started to adopt the the you know, personality profiles of people in the last couple of years. And I think of all of the times where I walked out of a, a meeting or a conversation and thought to myself, well, I'm never going to, I'm never going to get this across the finish line or never going to make sense to that particular individual. And, and really the onus was on me to figure out how to communicate with that person. I, the onus was not on the person to figure out how to listen to me and, and pointing the finger back at myself instead of them would be my, my, my biggest call out to myself figuring out how to communicate with people and, and, and not only me to that, that other individual, but helping other people communicate, you know, in, in my existing role, I, I don't have someone that peer that is, you know, I'm able to necessarily bounce ideas off or run a whiteboard session every day. So that cross-functional communication that I've realized I am the conduit making someone on one department understand what the other department is talking about seems to me like it's the new superpower. So I feel like I've done a pretty good job with that in the last, the last little while. But if you would have asked me 10 years ago, that's the, that's the one that's called out is, and it's all really around communication, but understanding how people want to, how, how they want to be communicated to is key. Well, and, and that's, that's awesome. And what I love about that is that where you said, Hey, the, the responsibility is not on me to get them to listen to me better. The responsibility is on me to learn how to communicate more effectively to them. And I, I love that insight because so many times and, and on top of the adaptability, the agility and the communications, it's that putting our ego aside and then, and creating that space. And I love that because so often I find people are so adamantly, you know, why will Brian listen to me? Rather than add, and I love that insight, Brian, where you're sharing, hey, I need to ask, how can I communicate better so they will, so that they're open to it. So it's, it's my responsibility. If I want to reach them, it's on me to build that bridge. That's so just- Craig, transparently, that came out in my, in my last 360. My last 360 was a couple of years ago now. And one of the big callouts was, it seems like when Brian brings an idea to the table, the decision is already made in his head. And in fact, yes, sometimes it was already made. And now I'm trying to convince people of why to, to, to go in this decision or in this route. But, but in reality, most of the decisions wasn't made and I was looking for, for feedback and, and I had to adapt my communication style to bringing people along in the thought process. And, and that was the direct output of a, of a 360. If anybody's interested in, you know, truly being authentic in a 360, there, there you go. I had to, I had to be more, I had to have a better communication style for those who thought I was just coming into the meeting and already had made the, or, or any situation and already made the decision. So awesome. Well, no, and thanks for sharing your lived experience with that. And it's so powerful. And then, you know, and then what I also love is the gains that come from that insight and how it shifts us. And then also how it can have a profound impact in terms of our success individually, as well as collectively. So the last question I'll ask, and again, this has just been great conversation. Would love to hear what are your favorite, what's a favorite leadership practice or practices, things that you feel they're in your toolkit, your superpowers as a leader that you yeah. bring on. I've got a couple. So I know you said one, but I'll, I'll, I'll reveal a couple. That open forum communication, either what, if it's in a town hall or a team meeting or, or whatever a, event or a situation you're in, that open forum has created a completely new context to, to what's happening in the organization, what people want to hear about, what they're concerned about, and, and, and trying, to, trying to, to respond to those questions in that open forum is, my, is, is one of my you know, favorite although intense sometimes and put myself on the spot, that open forum is, has, has really transformed how I view the organization and what's, what's happening in it. The second thing is I do all my one-on-ones with my, with my direct reports on Fridays. So every Friday for the last, I don't know how many years, every Friday is blocked out. So if you looked at my calendar from, you know, 
8.30 in the morning until four is, is one-on-one. Some of them a half an hour, some of them an hour, some of them will give two hours if we need to. And I blocked a day out of my calendar for as long back as I can remember. And I get all my one-on-ones done in, in, in one day. And, and the reason I, I find success from that is it's at the end of the week, you're getting real live context from what happened in the, in the prior four business days. People are eager to share on, on Fridays as opposed, to, as opposed to Mondays. And it's one condensed day of, of information. I personally take that time to digest that information normally over the weekend. And I come into Monday with, you know, either some new ideas or actions to, to achieve coming out of those one-on-ones. And, and in the one-on-ones, my, my, you know, unwritten rule is I bring three things and the other person brings three things. And if you don't have three things, we have a problem. Normally that list is more than three, but just come up with three. I, I've had people say, oh, I don't have anything. No, that's, that's incorrect. Come up with three. Not really sure most days I care what the three are. Just come with three things that you need to discuss if it's, it's barriers or or advice you need or continuous improvement ideas. Just bring three things. That's what you need to bring to the meeting. Finally, skip meetings. Doing one-on-ones, direct conversations throughout the organization started this quite a while ago. Regardless what level you're in, it's, it's a direct conversation with an employee that's maybe an individual contributor, doesn't feel like they have a voice to leadership. And again, bring three things. I normally you know, give these meetings either a couple of weeks notice to, for, for people to plan accordingly. People know that I do this. It's not a surprise. Nobody's going to get freaked out when the, when the president is, is adding, adding something on, on their calendar to, to talk about. But you, you start developing a relationship in different parts of the organization than you would normally. Well, I love that. And thank you. So great, both in terms of the intentionality. So that, you know, as you say, it's a Friday. And what I love, especially, and again, another common thread. So I always love looking for those threads. I just say, hey, there are, I'm going to bring three things. You're going to bring three things. So we're aligned on expectations. So rather than getting together, this is what. And so now we can have the most effective conversation possible. This has been awesome. Thank you. I knew this would be a lot of fun. I knew we got a lot of questions. So and great, great insights. So lots of positive comments. Any final words before we uh, sign off here, Brian, today? This has just been spectacular. So oh, thank you very much for the questions. If anybody's interested in um, reaching out directly, connecting on, on LinkedIn, feel free to send a message. Find me on LinkedIn is probably the best way. Craig, thank you for having me. We've, we've chatted a lot over the last couple of years, and this, is, this has been a lot of fun. Yeah, no, absolutely. The pleasure is all mine. So thanks again, Brian, for your time. Thanks everyone for being here and amazing questions. And I look forward to seeing you again on the next episode. Bye for now. Thank you so much for joining me here today on Do Good to Lead Well. If you enjoyed today's podcast, please subscribe and leave a review. If you'd like to continue the conversation, you can follow me on Twitter at Craig Dowden or reach out via LinkedIn or email info at craigdowden.com. I look forward to meeting you here next week for another transformational episode.